this Friday at Karen Acres Elementary from 1 to 3, the Creekside's going to have a booth just sharing about uh, our church and interacting with uh, children and parents from, from Karen Acres Elementary. And Mike is looking for maybe two more volunteers. So if you're able to help Mike Johnson with that this Friday from 1 to 3, we'll see. Mike, where are you at? Oh, there he is. <laughs> he hasn't sat down yet. See Mike, you can grab him after our last song. He'll be right by the drums. He'll be playing drums. And uh, let him know he's looking for two more people. And this is pretty low pressure. I think it's just you know, a chance to introduce yourself, meet people, uh, answer any questions about Creekside. And then uh, this Wednesday, there's a women's study starting up. Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. And there are packets in the entry, and they will be studying the book of Philippians. Thanks, Alan. Invite you to join me as we look to the Lord in prayer, as we begin our service, uh, begin to look at the Word this morning. Father, as we uh, worship you through the study of your Word, I pray uh, that your Spirit would drive home to us the truth that uh, we have a glorious Savior and we can walk in the light of your salvation. I praise you for this beautiful day and ask for your grace in all that we do. I know that I need it as we look into your word, and I pray that you would take the truths that we look at and that you would use them to transform our hearts, to more deeply appreciate all that you've done for us, and understand more fully all that you want to do in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. They're after me. They're after you? Oh, my father must have sent them to... Do you trust me? What? Do you trust me? Yes. Then jump! Do you trust me? That's what he said. Do you trust me? Jasmine had no good reason to trust the street rat in the movie Aladdin. On the contrary, every believer in Jesus Christ has a number of reasons, good reasons to trust our Heavenly Father, and yet we often don't. Jasmine had no good reason to trust Him, but she did. We have many reasons to trust God, but we don't often do it. This morning I want to take a look at... uh, a flyover, a 30,000-foot view of several chapters of Genesis from 37 through 50, the life of Joseph, and see how it is that God works sovereignly in his life that gives us good reason to believe that God is sovereignly working in our lives so that we can trust him in much the same way that Joseph trusts him. The ebb and flow of our lives goes this way and that way. But throughout it all, God is still in charge. And if we get a grasp of his sovereign control of our lives, I believe that gives us an anchor, a basis for us to trust him in a lot of different circumstances. And so this morning, uh, I want us to look at God's sovereign control over several aspects of Joseph's life in these chapters, 37 through 50, I'm not going to read them all, okay, and uh, motivate us. I'm not going to do it here. I've read it uh, this week a few times, and it takes a while for me. I'm not the fastest reader, 
But there's a lot of stuff in here that I want us to look at. I'm going to try to give you the synopsis of it that should motivate me. It motivated me as I looked at it to, to trust God. And hopefully it will motivate us to trust God. So I want to begin, first of all, by looking at God's being in charge of our family. It's the first thing we see in Joseph's life. I'm in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And then we'll begin to unpack the truths that are in front of us. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph was 17 years of age, was, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. And now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers and they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. God is in charge of our family. What we see here in the text is that it begins with the gener- record of the generations, which is kind of a key phrase throughout the whole book of Genesis. The records of the generations of. And then typically, the eldest son is then mentioned and we trace the genealogy. But here we see not the eldest son, but almost the youngest son. Joseph is mentioned first in the place of prominence. In the place where the eldest son should be mentioned. Joseph had this prominent place. Jacob was a descendant of Abraham, and he was a recipient of the covenants of promise in Genesis chapter 35, verses 9 through 12. We're not going to go back there, but he was a recipient. And so Joseph comes from this lineage of those who are receiving the promises of God. It's a pretty prestigious family he's born into. But he's like the youngest, and yet he's the favorite. At least that's what the text tells us. If you look at verse 3, now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons. What did his favored position result in on the part of his siblings? Jealousy and hatred. Now we add to that, the hostility and animosity, the jealousy there, we add to that the animosity that arose because Joseph had a couple of dreams. And I want to read with you verses 5 and 11. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Well, the dream was that Joseph's brothers would one day bow down to him and He would reign over them. Then we read verse 11. It says, And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept saying in his mind, kept kept the saying in his mind. What was the saying? I didn't read it all, but what he had, the second dream he had was that it wouldn't be just Joseph's brothers that would bow and he would reign over them, but that his mother and father would bow and he would reign over them as well. And so it just kept piling on and they were ticked off at their younger bratty brother and you notice earlier in the text I read he had kind of come back and given the report he squealed on his on his brothers you know he ratted them out I mean they're out tending the sheep and he runs back to daddy and gives them the goods on on you know to earn favor 
And so he's not very well liked among his brothers. He had no control. Joseph had no control, just like you have no control. We have no control over where we are born geographically. We have no control over to whom we are born biologically. We have no control over our ethnicity. We have no control over what order in the family we are born. We have no control over any of these things. We have no control over what period of history we're born in. It's all in God's charge. It's all in his control. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons born to the patriarch Jacob. Now, Jacob was a wealthy guy, but as in the first service we taught, he was a deceiver. He was a scoundrel. He was a really a bad guy. But then he came to know the Lord and became a follower of God. Once you look at Verses, chapter 48, verses 15 and 16, they're on the screen, you can look at it. He blessed Joseph and said, this is Jacob, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude upon the earth. Here is the scoundrel who's become more of a saint. In his elder years, God had a plan for Joseph. And I would contend that God has a plan for every one of his children. Now, it's not the same plan as he had for Joseph. It's not the same plan as he had for everyone else. But he has a plan for us. You ever wonder why you were born where you were born? Some of us were born in America. Some of us were born in the Congo. Some of us were born in Liberia. Some of us were born in Burma. Some of us were born in some other place. Why? What was God's purpose for the place where we were born? I don't know the answer to that necessarily, but there is a reason, I believe, that we're born where we're born. Some of us were born into good and godly and not so dysfunctional families. Every family is dysfunctional, okay? It's just a matter of degrees. Because we're, our parents are fallen human beings. So there's dysfunction. Some of us were born in good and godly families with minimal dysfunction. Others were born in a mess. You know, it was horrible, perverted, pagan, and poor homes. There's a difference between Franklin Graham. You know, here's Franklin Graham. He's, uh, uh, you know, one of the sons of Billy Graham. Now, their home was a little dysfunctional if your dad was gone almost all your entire childhood. But he had a great godly mother, and she raised him to fear and know and honor Christ. And he was a rebel. He wrote a book about it, you know, Rebel with the Cause. So he became, got back to the Lord. I have a friend of mine, Tone B. And Tone B was a drug addict. He was sold drugs. He drove recklessly. He racked up. DUIs, like, you know, stacked them on top of each other. He was a philanderer with women. He was not a really nice guy, but God got a hold of his heart. And right now he's serving. I want you to see this picture of uh, Tone. We got a picture of him? Yeah, there he is. Now he's pastoring a church in the inner city, dealing with the hardened and the hard cases in a major city in the United States and baptizing people almost every week. 
come to faith in Jesus Christ because they come out of the same background that he does. He has a heart for these people and he does great ministry. He's an evangelist at heart. God used everything in his past to bring him to the point where he could minister to the people that he's ministering to. And I believe that God is using us. He doesn't waste our family. He doesn't waste our background. He doesn't waste our history. He wants to use it for his purposes. He wants to redeem it. He equips us for the ministry to which he calls us. Now, he never sanctions sin. I mean, he's not sanctioning you. Some of you grew up in horrible backgrounds, horrible childhoods. God does not sanction the sin, but God wants to sanctify and use the sin and the good and the bad for his purposes and for his glory. He wants to use the pain. He wants to use the privilege. He wants to use the poverty even perversion for his glory to make a difference in the world. Joseph's family was a source of great grief to him, but we see at the end of the story that God used all that mess for his glory, for his purposes. So God's in charge of our family. God's secondly in charge of our adversity. There are four examples of the types of adversity. Now, it's not an exhaustive thing, but the four examples of the types of adversity that Joseph went through that parallel adversity in our lives that God is in charge of and wants to use to teach us to trust him. Types of adversity in which God, we can trust his sovereignty. First of all, betrayal. Betrayal. In their jealousy and their animosity, what did they do with their brother? They sold him into slavery. I want you to look at 37, chapter 37, verses 23 through 28. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers because his dad had sent him out again to give a report. I think dad liked the report he got from Joseph because Joseph would rat him out whenever they were doing something he didn't like. And so he sent him out again, and when they saw him coming, uh, when he reached his brothers, verse 23, they stripped him, Joseph, of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. You ever think about that? You know, we've seen a little song, Joseph's coat of many colors and all that. What did the coat of many colors remind them of? That this was daddy's little favorite because he had a coat of many colors. Not like anybody else. He had the special coat. So he was daddy's favorite. So they took it off of the dude and they said, we're going to get rid of him. Verse twenty. Four, and they took him and threw him into a pit. Now the pit was empty, without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some of the Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up out of the pit, lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Now notice the last phrase. Thus they brought him to Egypt. Just remember that. Thus they brought him to Egypt. Joseph was hurt deeply by what they did to him. Fast forward. Look at the screen. Verses, chapter 51, verses 
or 41, verses 51 and 52, Joseph now in Egypt has some children. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Surely we are being punished, this is at the end, because our brother, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. See, that's the stuff you don't get in chapter 37. His suffering. He was sold by his family into slavery to a land where he didn't know the language, where he would be treated like dirt, and it was a place of suffering. He had been betrayed in the chief way chief way he had been betrayed all my affliction and distress now it's not likely I don't believe that Joseph understood the purposes of God when all this is happening to him I don't think he had a clue what was going on he just knew that he'd been sold and betrayed by his brothers was there jealousy and was there hostility was it justified no in Genesis chapter 50 verse 15 we see that they're 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 Sin against him was no way justified. They were absolutely responsible for what they had done to their brother. And God took no delight. And this is why I want you to remember. God takes no delight in, in their deception or their despicable action. God wasn't sanctioning that at all in, from a sinful standpoint. But he used their evil for his good purposes. So is it possible that God can use the evil, wicked things that happen to us? that he doesn't sanction and ultimately use it for his good purposes? Yes, entirely possible that he does. See, God used those things to refine Joseph. Don't tell me that the young spoiled little brat who was the favorite of his daddy didn't own it and walk around with his chest puffed out and know that he was special. I'm special. Oh no, he was proud and arrogant and he needed to be humbled. God used this to refine him. God used it to reach his brothers and bring conviction in their heart. God used it to redeem his people and save them from the famine that came. I want you to read with me in Genesis chapter 45, God's perspective and Joseph's perspective on what happened in him being sold into slavery. Genesis 45, beginning with verse 5, Joseph says this, And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. And verse 8, And now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Verse 9, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. We read that thus they sent him down to Egypt. Uh -uh. So yeah, they did from a human standpoint, but from God's standpoint, God sent him down to Egypt. God's in charge of our adversity. He is in charge. I remember I was 16 and I was in love. 
And I just knew that this was the one. And she betrayed me and went off after another guy. And my heart was devastated. How could she do that? This guy was not even a good guy. You know, and she had me. Well, I mean, and God used that betrayal to lead me to the person that is now my wife that I wouldn't trade, you know. And so God does that for his people. He changes. We can be betrayed through someone who's a trusted confidant that asks us to invest in this sure deal and we do it and whammo, then we're out. It can be a relationship that betrays us. And these betrayals can draw us or drive us to greater dependence upon God. These betrayals can eviscerate the pull that means gut, the pull, to trust in my investment wisdom, to trust in a person, to trust in something else rather than to trust in God. God can use those idols. He can use the betrayal to strip us of the idols that we worship. God is not capricious. God is not sadistic. God is not like a cosmic killjoy sitting up in heaven watching us walk around like ants and if we do something and squish us like little bugs like he's trying to get some delight out of it. No, he's using the adversity in our life to conform us to the image of Christ. Some of us, he's using the adversity in our life to draw us, to bring us to Christ. All of those who know him, he's using that adversity to make us more like Christ. He wants to accomplish his good and his purpose. And he uses injustice. Chapter 39, verses 7 through 20. The cruelty of Joseph's uh, brothers brought him down, well, ultimately God brought him there, to Potiphar's house. And many of you know the story. He, Potiphar is one of the captains of the guard for Pharaoh. And there it is that God gave Joseph great success, but also great sorrow because there it was that Joseph repeatedly resisted the lure and the pull, the temptation of Potiphar's wife to commit adultery. And it ended up that he fled, and as he fled, he was falsely accused. And he ended up in prison. He said, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph was falsely accused and imprisoned. I want you to read with me in chapter 39, verses 19 and 20. Now it came about... When his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, that his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in jail. He had been betrayed. And now he had been completely falsely accused. I always wonder, I read that story, well, how come he never got to defend himself? I mean, you know, you don't hear him saying anything. It's just his wife, you know, and you got to believe that Potiphar understood that his wife was probably a little bit of a, a scoundrel herself. But anyway, it's, that's, a, that's an aside. But here he is. He's, he's in a bad way. Do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. I think of David. Isn't it interesting that he was anointed the king of Israel and yet he fled from Saul for like 
12 or 15 years. He had been anointed the king, but he wasn't actually recognized as a king. Now think about Paul and Silas. They're in jail, being beaten, having been beaten, and they're singing praises to God at midnight. And think about our Lord Jesus. The bad things happen to good people. He was crucified on a cross. The, the absolute innocent person in the world. Not everything is good, but God uses everything for his good. You know, we all know the verse, Romans 8, 28. Well, God causes all things to work for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. You know, that's the last verse you want to recite when somebody's going through adversity. It is true, but it is that what they are feeling is not good, but God is using it for their good. That's the, the point of the verse. You see, prison that Joseph went into was the place of, I think, I can't prove this, okay, so you, it's a place, I think, of purification for Joseph. It's a place of preparation for Joseph. It was the pathway that led him to the place of Pharaoh's palace. It was all part of God's plan. The adversity was part of what God was using for him. See, God was working in Joseph, and even in prison, he was working through Joseph. Case in point, folks, we don't have to get somewhere to be used of God. God wants to use us where we're at. You know, some people, oh, i got to get the education, i got to get training, i got to get some advanced degrees, or I have to uh, get some whatever for God to use me. Ah, poppycock. Just let God use you where you're at. That's what he wants. I don't care what, what age you're at. You don't have to be uh, 15. You don't have to be 8. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be a guy or a girl. You don't have to be any. You just have to be who God wants us to be. And he wants to use us. That's what he did with Joseph. If you have not yet suffered injustice, you will. Some of you have been passed over for a job promotion. Some of people have been forced to retire. Some people have lost their retirement plan because the company closed. Some people are in school and politics determine who plays and who doesn't play on the athletic field or first chair or who gets the lead in the play. Politics determines those things. Some of us are blamed for things that are not our fault. I remember sitting in the back seat of my grandfather's car driving to my father's uh, master's degree ceremony and my sister and I were quarreling in the back seat and uh, my grandpa said okay that's enough stop it now and so we stopped and all of a sudden my sister blurted out stop it Steve. I hadn't done a thing. My grandpa reached around and swatted me on the knee and left a permanent scar in my heart. I was innocent. How could you do this? Injustice happens, but God wants to use our injustice to grow us and to give others a taste of God. God uses our betrayal and uses injustice, but God also uses dashed hopes. In chapter 40, 
verses 1 through 23. Joseph was in prison, and God blessed him in prison. And then he had this opportunity, a glimmer of hope, because there were two people that were sent there from the Pharaoh. There was the cupbearer and the baker. And then he had a dream. They had dreams. Two of them had dreams. I'm in chapter 40, beginning with verse 14. Only keep me in mind, because Joseph interpreted the dream for the cupbearer and for the baker. He says to the cupbearer, only keep me in mind, and just an aside, because the cupbearer is the only one getting out of prison alive. Okay, so the cupbearer and the baker both had a dream. The cupbearer, yeah, you're going to be restored. The baker, sorry guy, you know, you're done little pun here, you're toast, you're done. So he was done. So anyhow, the, he said to the cupbearer in chapter 40, verse 14, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning to me Pharaoh, mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. Now notice he's reciting the injustices that have happened prior. And even here I have done nothing that they would have put me in this dungeon. You know Pharaoh. Pharaoh can get me out of here. Please mention him. I'm doing this favor for you. Do this favor for me. There was a glimmer of hope. But his hopes were dashed. In chapter 40, verse 23, uh, you can see it on the screen. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Whoops. Man, I had a chance, but I blew it. Dashed hopes. I remember sitting with a family in Rochester, Minnesota. Second time that the mother had gone in for surgery, she was going in uh, for surgery again because they had removed some cancer the first time and then she was going back for a second surgery. And I was sitting with the family and all too soon, I'd never had this happen before in times being with people at the hospital, the surgeon came in to the room about a half hour after the surgery began. And he said, I'm sorry, we just closed your mother up. No hope. Gone. That's it. When the surgeon at Mayo Clinic says it's over, then most people determine that that's God speaking. It's not, not God speaking, but they, they think that. And it ended up that she didn't make it, but that was hope. Folks, we have dashed hopes. Some of us have dreams that go unmet. Some of us have jobs that we're waiting to get. Some of us have an engagement that's broken off. Some of us have a dream, a desire to have children that never gets fulfilled or it's dashed or it's put off. Some of us have a sure investment that goes bad. God knows he's in charge. When we don't understand, as the song says, and we can't trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And if you want to know God's heart, we just have to look at the cross. Because that's where he shows his love for his people. Finally, God's in charge of prolonged waiting. I find it fascinating that Joseph was in prison. It's not in a good way, in a bad way. In chapter 41, verse 1, it says he was there for two years. Now, it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. It was two years that he was in prison. How long do you like waiting in line? I'm not a line waiter. 
I mean, like, I'm, 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 I've got my radar. When I'm going to check out, I mean, I'm scanning the area, you know. I mean, I'm like, a, I'm doing these calculations in my mind. Who has the shortest line and who has the least amount of stuff in their, you know, cart so I can get there? Don't follow me, though, because God knows. God has a sense of humor, you know. And whatever line I get in is going to be the longest checkout line. I mean, I'll get there to be the shortest. Oh, we, we ran out of the... the tape to give the receipts you know we got to change the machine out it doesn't matter oh we got man I'm sorry I'm done we're you know this register is closed you know if I'm doing the self checkout it breaks you know it doesn't matter or it doesn't you know, I, please place your item in the checkout area please place your item you know so what I just did that you know and it doesn't work the bag it doesn't weigh my stuff or something God knows we want the fast thing if you have a child that's a prodigal, you want that child back now. If you're waiting for an adoption, you want it to go through now. If you want to get pregnant, you want that to happen now. God dashes our hopes. God doesn't dash them, but when they're dashed, He's there with us, okay? Want an improvement in my health condition. I'm tired and sick and tired of being sick and tired. God wants us to wait sometimes. And he wants the waiting not to make us bitter, but to make us better. We have dashed hopes. And God is with us in the middle of it. I remember, I remember sitting at the bedside of my wife after our first miscarriage. As I sat in the hospital, uh, just grateful that my wife was still alive and mourning the loss of what would have been our first child, I stared out the windows all night. I didn't sleep. I just stayed up and was praying and reading the Word. And I looked out, and I just found God's peace. He met me there. Hopes had been dashed, but God met me. I can't explain it. I don't know why, but He was there. And even if I hadn't felt it, he was still there. God is in charge of our family. God is in charge of our adversity. God is in charge of our prosperity. God provided Joseph with three great platforms in which he had prosperity. Uh, if you don't count when he was at home, okay? But in, in Potiphar's house, he was successful. And it says in the text that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. Chapter 39, I'm in chapter 39, verses 1 through 4. All that he did prosper, after which he was falsely accused and imprisoned. Then he was in prison, and when he was in prison, in verses 21 through 23, it says, but uh, in chapter 39, 21, it says, but the Lord is with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there was he was responsible for. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. I'm thinking, wow. God was causing him to prosper, to prosper, to prosper. And then in Pharaoh's kingdom... And you know the story, many of you know the story, where he, he interpreted the dreams, and then he was made basically second in command. 
Second in command. Verses chapter 41, verses 40 and 44. Let's read it together. 40 through 44. Yes, you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you, Pharaoh speaking to Joseph. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took all of his signet, off his signet ring and of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and, the, and clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. His God-given prosperity ended up preserving his family and God's lineage through it all. It's amazing. Now, there's no guarantee here. I'm not saying that's a guarantee of prosperity for anybody. That's not what I'm preaching. But if there is prosperity, it's God's doing. And prosperity is not just financial. Prosperity can be responsibility. Prosperity can be authority that we have. Prosperity comes in, in different forms and in different ways. But God is the one. And he, he, uh, God used him and, he, and ended up validating his dream. You know, when he went to Egypt, he validated his dream. I really appreciate 1 Chronicles 29, verse 12. In 1 Chronicles 29, 12, David, at the end of his life, is gathering riches to build Solomon's temple. Uh, give money to Solomon so he can build the temple. And he says, riches and his prayers, his riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your, in your hand are power and might. And it is in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. So where do riches and honor come from? Where does riches, where does power, where does authority come from? It comes from God. He's the author of it. He's the one who gives it. I believe that God's sovereignty in Joseph's adversity prepared him. It was used by God to give him humility when he was prosperous. He was a spoiled little brat. But he spent two years in prison learning things the hard way. And when he got this platform for prosperity, he was humbled. He was also able to forgive his brothers. That didn't happen overnight. He was also used to preserve his family for the purpose of ministry. It says in chapter 45 that he was there to preserve life. God used all of it for his glory. I have a question or a, a little bit of information for you. You think, well, I'm not very prosperous. Financially, I'm just going to do with financial stuff. According to the global rich list, if you're Total income is $32,400 a year. You're in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. You know that 32400 is, I think it's got to be close to the poverty line, the government declared poverty line in the United States. Think about that. 32400 you are in the top 1% of all the wealthiest people in the world. That changes our perspective. So do we credit God with the prosperity and do we use it for his ministry? Then we see finally that God is in charge of our reality. Four realities. He controls our opportunities. In chapter 40, uh, God ordained Joseph's meeting with the cupbearer. 
mean, how'd that happen? You're in prison, just happened to meet the cupbearer to the king and just happened to interpret his dream. Just happened to know that later on, two years later, the cupbearer would remember that I interpreted the dream when Pharaoh had to, just happened to have a dream. A lot of things just happened. God is in charge of it. My good friend Ken DeYoung, uh, who was a co-founder of Go Serve Global, a ministry around the world doing a lot of good things, happened to be in the airport in Lakai, Haiti, when it just so happened that Eddie Constant, who was a Haitian, met up with him and gave him a tour of the area. And God used that chance meeting to lay upon Ken's heart the idea of starting a ministry, which he did start, which God is now using for his glory, just happened to be. That God brought them together. Just happened to be that... I was walking through the, the trailer park that we lived in, Marla and I, when I was in seminary, and I saw, a, 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 I was actually standing there at our place, and a man walked by, and he saw the license plate on our car from Wright County, Iowa, and he was from Wright County, Iowa, and he said, hey, you're from Wright County, Iowa? I said, yeah, we struck up a conversation. He was there for mission school, and I asked him, I was a seminary graduate looking for a job. I said, you don't happen to know of any churches in Iowa that are looking for a pastor. Oh, yeah, I do happen to know of this one church that's looking for a pastor. And long story short, just happened to be that that's how we got our first job, first ministry. Just happened to be that there was three people in the whole world that knew that Marla and I were open to a new ministry opportunity if God provided one and made it sure to us just happened to be that Mark Klein was talking to one of the people that I one of the three people that I had told that about and that person gave Mark Klein my name just happened to be see God is all the time working to connect you and me with people for his purposes and for his glory God is in charge of our opportunities God's in charge of our abilities Joseph gives God the credit every time he interprets a dream. Three times he interpreted dreams. For the cupbearer, for the baker, and for the pharaoh. And God gives him that ability. Some of us have greater capacity than others have capacity in different areas. And that's okay. You know, you're never going to see me up here picking and grinning. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, that's last week. I, you're not going to see me doing that. You're not going to see me up here singing. I'm, I'm an audience person. Praise God, I worship with joyful heart. Sit in the front row so nobody gets off tune when I sing. You know? God gives us capacities. He gives us abilities for His glory. That's what He gave Joseph, and Joseph used it for His glory. And he uses and, and, and cultivates them. Marge McKeever and, and Bob Vaughn, they have a, a capacity, and, op, and, and God gives them opportunity. They have capacity for cross-cultural ministry. And they've cultivated their capacity so that it's enlarged. Praise God. And others too. I'm not just mentioning them. I didn't even ask them for permission. God also controls our productivity. Isn't it interesting that God told Joseph through the dream, you know what? There's going to be seven years of prosperity, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And who's in charge of that? God is. I'm just going to make seven years of prosperity, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And God has shown what he will do, is what Joseph said. Feast and famine are in God's hand. 
the rain that makes everything look so beautiful right now that came last week is from the hand of God. And if in July we look out there and it is parched, it is from the hand of God. He's in charge. And we need to trust him as the one who's in charge. Now, we can fight him. It doesn't work very well. But we can, and we usually do. But he's in charge. And he controls our destiny. I want you to look at 37, verse 28. It's up on the, I think we got a screen. It says, Then some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up, that is his brothers, and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought him to Egypt. No, no, they didn't. From their standpoint, they brought him to Egypt. But from God's standpoint, you, I read it before. God sent me here. God sent me here. God sent me here. God sent me here. God put me in charge. God did it. He's in control of our destiny. He uses the sinful intentions, even the sinful intentions, of his independent agents, that's human beings, who are responsible for their independent sinful decisions, and God still uses them for his glory. He says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So it's possible for wicked things to happen because sinful people do bad things to good people, and they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God still wants to redeem it. God provides and uses our opportunities and our abilities and productivity. And he controls our destiny. He works in and through us. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you may be saying, oh, yeah, that's what kind of God do you serve? I mean, he just kind of like plays with you like puppets or something, you know? So God causes bad things to happen to believers? Well, Yeah. Yeah, sometimes God, you know, does that. Uh, but he does it for good, ultimately, spiritual good. He's not the author of evil, but he uses adversity, evil decisions, for his purposes and for his glory. Yes, he does that. Uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I think he says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God did it for good. It is good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Now, Joseph wasn't saying that when they pulled him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. But fast forward, 22 years. He was 17 then, 39, 22 years. Boom, he's got to sing in a different song. A good God brings bad into our lives for his glory. If someone is an alcoholic and you call the police because they need to be taken care of, they would not say that's a good thing. But it probably is a good thing. It's for their good. This bad may, thing may be just what's needed. See, as I look at this story, I think in the same way that Joseph was mistreated by his brothers, and yet in the end became the instrument of their physical salvation, so too the person of Jesus Christ, who was mistreated and despised and forsaken by men, became the instrument of our spiritual salvation. Joseph becomes for us a picture of what Jesus has done for us. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. We can live to righteousness through faith in Jesus. Have you believed in Jesus? 
and his death on the cross as the payment for your sins, that you would live in righteousness in communion with God through union with Christ. That's why he came. Joseph's 22 years of experience led him to trust God. I'm just saying that I think that believers need to look at Joseph's life, that God's in charge of our family. He's in charge of our adversity and our prosperity and of our reality and say, okay, Lord, I'll give up control. I'll wave the white flag of surrender of control of my life and I'll trust you with what you're trying to do as best I can. Give me grace. Remember the prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. Just give me grace and strength to make it through with our opportunities, regardless of our productivity. And you know, as we, as we come to the close of, of our study of the Word, there's no greater reminder of God's goodness and love than to break the bread and to take the cup. Because that's where we remember His goodness. In spite of the adversity, in spite of our family, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of our hardships, all that stuff, we're reminded that His, His goodness and the cross of Calvary, his body broken and his blood shed so that we could be part of his family, so that his good purposes, even though they're difficult and hard at times, would be worked out in our lives. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, we invite you to break the bread with us and take it and to drink the cup and to reaffirm our joy in knowing Jesus and our confidence in a good God in spite of what is not always a good circumstance around us. Invite you to pray with me, and then the praise team will come and we'll break bread together. Father, help us to trust you tenaciously as Joseph learned to trust you. It's not something that he had from the beginning, Lord, but it's something that he grew into. And so give us grace and patience to learn and grow into it ourselves, we pray. Take this bread and use it, cup, to remind us of your goodness. In Jesus' name. Father, you, as we have heard this morning, are the author of our lives. Psalm 139 says, Every day was written in your book before one of them came to be. And so, God, we stand here now at the start of a new week, um, asking and wondering what you have in store. But we know that no matter what comes, um, your name is a strong and mighty shelter. We can trust in your name and in your purposes for our lives. Now, Father, as we give back to you this morning, as the offering comes around, may we give with uh, glad and joyful hearts, um, rejoicing that we can uh, give back to you, that we can participate uh, in what you are doing. Uh, we thank you for this morning and for this time together.